Good morning. This is Rob Reed, author of After On and host of the After On podcast, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for May 9th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow. I thought for sure you were going to say, I am Groot. <laughs> we're just a couple no, of guys. I'm not. I am not. This is not about family, Steve. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information this week, Chip. Yeah, there's, there's more. Summer movie season is off and running, my friend. Well, they had to make it big. And I think uh, Marvel made it big. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, hey, Chip, two weeks in a row. I want credit for this. Two weeks in a row, I sat in a movie theater in the dark and watched a movie. Well, we we review movies every week. That's exciting (laughs) news, Steve. Welcome to 2023, the year that Steve actually goes to the movies two weeks in a row. You and I both got a chance to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the finale of the story of Star-Lord. Steve, I went to the Alamo Draft House. I went on Thursday night. You know, it opens on Friday officially. Mm -hmm. But unofficially, uh, they had shows every half hour. (laughs) I went to the crummy mall near us that has the crummy theater that I don't like and sat in the dark for this movie. And uh, I I don't think the audience really got into it. Was your audience emotionally connected to this movie? Absolutely. The There was no parking in the parking lot. In fact, the overflow parking kept going down to there, – there are some um, – different shopping centers it kept going down the shopping centers in fact i i don't know how they were able to run any other movies they they uh i don't remember how many uh theaters there are i think there's 10 at the alamo draft house and half of them were showing the guardians of the galaxy the other half were showing the other movies they were showing and they were showing guardians of the galaxy every half hour every 30 minutes uh, a new one would start they were all packed. It was incredibly busy, and very everyone was very excited. They they were very excited to see this film. My audience was not very excited. I went on Saturday night, which seems like a pretty prime time movie going experience, and the theater was not packed, and the audience was just very quiet. I heard one guy hoot enjoy one time during guardians of the galaxy i think the audience really makes or breaks a movie experience in a lot of ways doesn't it it could it could and you know one of the real benefits of alamo draft house as we continue to plug this theater right is that they love movies and it shows from the moment you walk in there so you know there's a bar there there's they're serving food but once you get into the theater, the half hour they've got to seat you and all that other stuff, Alamo has put together specialized, I don't know, introductions to the characters. They kept running 
you know, the story so far, according to Drax, mm -hmm. the story so far, according to, to uh, Star-Lord, mm -hmm. um, a lot of that was put there and then they'd have commercials running in between that are old commercials. They're just all nostalgia trips. Shortly before the movie started, I had all this group of kids come in and sit next to me. They were all excited. They ordered a popcorn or hamburgers or whatever they ordered. So we had this full packed audience all the way to the, you know, the first row. So certainly that played into it. And I talked to some of the, uh, the, I shouldn't call them ushers, who are servers, uh, at the Alamo Draft House. And they were, they were staffed for the whole weekend like this. Hmm. So they were expecting this to be really, really big. I, think it was going to hit the expectations. I don't think things are going to be as big as the last Avengers movie. Right. But I do think that this, with James Gunn leaving and taking over the uh, DC film, Superman, Batman type stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's kind of an end of an era. And I can't help but think that Disney and Kevin Feige are truly understanding they're going to have to get better directors mm -hmm. um, in order to make better stories. Agreed. The Guardians of the Galaxy was a surprise hit for us when it first hit. That first volume was so different from anything that we'd seen before. This this volume three just didn't have the same whimsy for me as that first storytelling. It, it, but this is the third one in. And you, mm -hmm. you have to recognize that Guardians of the Galaxy was a failed comic book. Certainly wasn't a fan favorite. It, it's, it's from, you know, back in the 60s. Right. And it just kind of shows up once in a while and would have a, a, a run, maybe uninspired for a period of time. You know, maybe it had a nice run. But all these characters were, you know, just kind of secondary backup characters and really didn't get an epic story until Keith Giffen came in and did Annihilation as a comic book. So when James Gunn picked Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, nobody knew who Star-Lord was. He was mm -hmm. some, obscure, some obscure character. <laughs> and Rocket Raccoon was a character that kind of just showed up in a Hulk comic and had a, a miniseries, but certainly didn't resonate the way yeah, this version of Rocket Raccoon resonated. Mm -hmm. My daughter loves Rocket Raccoon because he's cute or whatever he is. It's an adventure story. So I feel that they really rounded out, or, or James Gunn really rounded out and created a, a property while under the, under the Marvel banner, as far as the MCU banner, it was certainly a very unknown property. It could have failed as easily as it, it grew. So this is really Rocket Raccoon's story. We get the the backstory of who he is and the the really uh, deeply touching and disturbing story of animal testing and vivisection. I was really, truly disturbed by some of the imagery in this. This is... Um... Certainly not a, a little child's movie. Right. And and I don't I don't think Marvel was designed to be little children's movie. This is not Little Mermaid type stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not uh, Aladdin, which is truly all ages. I would say this is teenager and up, 
and certainly isn't designed for sensitive children. And, um, and that's the big question that we have here is what is, you know, who are our students, our children at this stage in 2023? Are they so desensitized to violence that this is fine for children? Well, that's a that's a profound question right there, because towards the end of the movie, there is a battle scene. And if this wasn't comic book violence, mm -hmm. and they would throw blood or actually show what this kind of damage was really going through, um, this is a war scene. Right. I mean, it truly is a war scene. Are we creating people who are desensitized to violence? On Saturday, there was a mass shooting in north of Dallas, mm -hmm. in Allen, Texas. Uh, eight people died uh and then I think eight people died in it, but a, a, a gunman came in. Are we through our um, stories, through our comic book type of violence? Once again, does it really show the destruction or the aftermath? We're not dealing with the families who've lost people. We're not dealing with uh, war situations like Ukraine and uh, Russia, where families are, you know, losing family members who are soldiers so that that is certainly something that could be asked james gunn i'm sure when he was directing this and wrote this these scenes was certainly in the comic book trope and these are part of the, the, the stories to see children being um held captive to see mm -hmm. um animals being um vivisected i mean seriously this is as yeah. disturbing as you know as disturbing as the toy vivisection in toy story was that that horror sort of genre that creeps into the beginning of the movie toy story we have animals that are being cut into pieces here and it, it was truly disturbing and and there is a, that's that's a, a real part to it i i think that if we put it in the sense that this is a comic book film and an adventure film, I think we're really okay to it. But, you know, once again, once you've seen real life versions of this, I'm not sure if you can become comfortable with it. And the blending of what our young people are experiencing in real life. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, think of, just think of any shooting you've heard of over the last year or forever. We, we, we don't necessarily want to normalize those types of violent type of scenes. Mm -hmm. I think they did. Um, let's, let's move on real quick to the, the casting of this. James Gunn is, is masterful at putting together a, a beautiful cast. Mm -hmm. um, he've, we've got a really good bad guy. I mean, he is the disturbing guy. We, we recognize what he's doing. He's world building. He's world destroying. And it is on beyond an epic scale and certainly disconnected from the lives that are being impacted that he's played with. Mm -hmm. um, certainly um, that makes for that. What, can, what more can we say about Chris Pratt? I mean, he is just charming. Mm -hmm. He is a, a Han Solo type character. I mean, he has made Peter Quill. He has made Star-Lord. 
Yeah, his charisma certainly shines on this. Uh, the The fact that they put him on screen up against Nathan Fillion, who was in some ways that charismatic guy at some point in his career, was kind of fun to see those two acting for, off of each other. I do enjoy the acting. I think Drax, uh, we know from real life that the actor who plays Drax is done with this character. He does not want to play this character any longer, but he gets to shine in this as well karen gillen gets an interesting turn as maybe somebody that is important for our heroes uh there's some there's some great acting going on in this movie and there's some great big pets steve at some point mantis grabs three big slugs and is going to go and you know hang out with them Mantis did a great job too. She she really had some some very poignant moments in this story. And let's go back to James Gunn and his story of Rocket because I did find myself becoming emotional. I mean, that's pretty profound uh, anyway. Now, becoming emotional with Rocket's story. Mm-hmm. They, they're very touching. Uh, certainly, um, you can imagine being scared. You can imagine being um, unknown. Um, and just being locked away in prison and being a test uh, test animal. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly very disturbing. The power of friendship during this time, the reason you would want to block some memories from a past that, that you're not comfortable with or haven't dealt with, yep. and then uh, you know, going through and, and growing to, to recognize where you're part of a team. So certainly very enjoyable and And, you know a lot of people don't understand uh Groot at all because he seems to I don't know say the same thing over and over Steve but I don't know I said if you listen pretty carefully maybe you can understand at least a little bit of what he said there's some very interesting character development for a character who only says I am Groot in this very is that all he says Steve is that um, all he says? Is, uh, spoilers. Um, no, no. But you know what? You know, will he win an Oscar? <laughs> the question that, that was brought up in my family was, did Vin Diesel actually do the dance scene where Groot is dancing at the end? I think that was made so that when you go to somewhere on Disney parks, mm-hmm. they, have a, they have a Groot character that could, I don't know, be that size. Um, and, and show and up was, and were the Ewoks involved in that singing and dancing at the end of the celebration possibly, possibly. It, was very, it was very return of the jedi it was very Ewoks celebrating the 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 end of this adventure of course of course and but i really do i i please please push ben diesel to be put on that oscar ticket as uh, for best actor <laughs> The other part of the the end of this story that I really enjoyed was how much Drax got to his finale. He has always been this guy who was a father who lost his child. That was the beginning of his story. And at the end, spoilers, he reaches the next level of that and becomes that father figure and that teacher character that I just, I loved that moment. And, and, and the growth is this many times. So think about how you, if you had to describe each of these characters with one word, mm-hmm. um, whatever that word is that you're thinking in your mind, just recognize that people are much more complex than that. And certainly how you view a person could be just how you view that person 
there may be something much more deep to their drive, to their character. Mm -hmm. I think that is part of what made this enjoyable, too, was that James Gunn moved these characters forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many times comic books are designed that the story is ongoing forever, but the characters don't really evolve. Like a Seinfeld episode, Steve. Mm -hmm. They learn nothing. Correct. So that you can pick up any one comic book and jump right into the story and you know who that character is. There's definitely a character arc for all of these characters in these three volumes of Guardians of the Galaxy. So I gave it 65 out of 100. I think if you enjoy these types of films, you'll enjoy this. It certainly is one of the stronger films since the, in fact, it may be the strongest since the um, Avengers uh had their finale and marvel is still trying to build towards that next story and that was one of the things i noticed about this um movie is it really about it had some connections to the past of the marvel universe it didn't really set up you know anything that's going on with kang it didn't set up the next stories i think that is what's kind of missing with the MCU right now is, hey, I know in my mind that a Galactus will eventually be coming towards Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really get any of that. And, and this I was know... definitely a finale of this story. This was a closing act of this story for sure. But that was, all these movies have, have something to do with the greater story. And this one seemed to, you know, what did it end with? It ended with Peter Quill will return. Mm-hmm. So it didn't say Guardians of the Galaxy will return. It said Peter Quill will return. Right. And you're thinking, who? Yeah, that's that's Star Wars, Steve. Yeah, Star Lord, right. The other thing that that really affected me was how the music didn't have the same impact as the previous iterations of Guardians of the Galaxy. That first movie where music was so important to the storytelling, I I was really waiting for that moment where the music really became a part of the storytelling they kicked in with beastie boys no sleep till brooklyn and i was like that doesn't even fit this scene it it should have been fight for your right to party if you're going to do a beastie boys song and and even worse was they took out the cringeworthy lyrics of that no sleep till brooklyn because they would not be disney worthy lyrics i i I, I will agree with you that the music, certainly um, there are some good songs in here, mm-hmm. but it's the first soundtrack, volume one, about that, um, was very, very strong. The second one was was pretty strong, too. Mm-hmm. This is the weakest of the three. It's the third movie. Um, in addition to that, they've sort of moved up in um years as far as when the music was actually released uh-huh. where the first one had all these i don't know early 70s 60s uh, 70s songs and we're, we're 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 up to you know 80s and so and in addition to that um the growth could be that they're all singing the songs because you know you only have a a list of music but those are meant for um yeah, they were kind of cheesy. I don't know how to say it. They, they're they all singing these songs. Well, if you're on a starship and you've only got a list of, I don't know, 20 songs, of course you're, all, you're going to know all those songs. 
Yeah, it just doesn't have the same impact for me. And that's the second movie in a row where I was expecting music to be a big part of the impact of the film. And this one, it, it left me wanting more. Uh, I listened to Metallica all the way home from this one because that's the kind of hard rock that I was needing in these action scenes. We can be empathetic, Steve, because... I don't know, maybe every uh, beginning of February, there seems to be a countdown to uh, Valentine's Day. And I will say the first couple of years were certainly stronger than the later years. Agreed. Because, um, yeah, the music may have a flavor, but it certainly is, um, you know, you you kind of start going more and more esoteric because Agreed. you're you're running out of those songs that can grab people. And um, anyway, there's a few of them. There are a few of them in there. Go with it. I, in fact, I, I downloaded the soundtrack for Volume 3. Why not? They're a lot of fun. I did too, but it, it left me wanting more. Uh, the, and I can say that for a lot of this movie. It, a lot of it left me wanting more. Uh, I don't know that I can suggest this movie to a lot of my students because of the violence and the animal cruelty uh, I know that that was intended, that you were supposed to be disturbed by these moments, uh, but it, 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 you need to know going into it that sensitive people might uh, find this uh, very hard to watch. I could see that. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. Uh, hey, hey, Chip, it's May. How are your New Year's resolutions going? Steve, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight like I try to do all the time, like a lot of people uh, try to do. Mm -hmm. I also have been on a journey of trying to lose my pandemic weight, and I chose Noom as my system for weight loss. So you and I both have gone through the book that Noom published. This is the Noom Mindset, Learn the Science, Lose the Weight. This was published in December of 2022. You need to understand that this is a book that is sort of an advertisement. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, it is to give you the, um, I don't know, the, the psychological theory behind how they've established this gamified way of looking at challenges. Right. Noom is not a weight loss. It is a psychology study. It is thinking mm -hmm. about growth mindset overcoming thought distortions and changing your mind in order to change your behaviors. So we have kind of discussed similar processes, but basically from an economic point of view, there's the economic theory that um, we, we use Richard Thaler and also Dan Airely's work. So Richard Thaler won the Nobel prize. He's uh, at the University of Chicago and both, both of those are behavior science, uh, economics. And the, their strength or what they brought to the table was basically adding psychology to economic theory, the idea of what can we do to help nudge you in the right direction, to doing the things that you feel are important, 
without you know forcing you to doing it. Mm-hmm. This new process or mindset seems to be right there. This is exactly what this this uh, app is designed to do. It is to nudge you into helping you come to terms with the decisions that you feel are important. And thinking about mindfulness, that's something that we've talked about many times on this show. We talked to Dan Harris, who published his book, 10% Happier, talking about mindfulness, being in the moment, using that motivation to apply change to something that you want to change. It doesn't have to be about weight loss. That's the neat part about Noom is it's about changing your habits, whatever that is that you decide you want to change. That you feel is important. Right. The idea of you can eat what Whatever you want is one of my favorite parts about Noom. You can eat absolutely anything. This is not a diet. The question is, do you want to eat it? Is the benefit of eating that thing the right choice for you right now? We all, you know, the holidays come around. Your birthday comes around. If you're eating birthday cake every day, well, it means you have a lot of friends. But uh, but it also could be that it may not be it may not be helping you reach the things that you say are, are important to you. Mm-hmm. If you are doing destructive things to your life, they may be holding you back from doing the things that help you achieve the things that you do value. Mm-hmm. And those thought distortions of "I want to do this destructive thing" is that true, or is that your internal motivation and and can you change that internal motivation to uh, to be focused more on long-term goals instead of the now this is certainly a book that is of a modern era i mean i two year 200 years ago we certainly would have been looking at survival um levels i mean mm-hmm. uh but today Many times we can achieve the things that we value. If you like traveling or if you like um, uh, spending time at the beach or you like fishing or whatever those things, we can find ways that you can do it. Mm -hmm. But if you're focusing on the things that you value, what you're also doing is discounting the things that are taking away from um, you achieving those things that you value my goodness, and this is I talk about this every day as a professional about that. You know, right. Everything is available to you in many, many ways. If you say, I want to have a Porsche because you always wanted to have a Porsche, there is not a reason today. There's not a reason today that you couldn't achieve the sports car that you mm-hmm. want. But you couldn't do this and maybe everything else. Right. And Noom is very good, or at least their approach is very good at at creating creating this hierarchy Mm -hmm. of values. And then I'm using the word nudge because that's what Richard Taylor, uh, Thaler, excuse me, um, uses. Basically kind of easing you into it and becoming, getting to terms of what you value. If the holidays are important to you and bringing family together, and that's the focus that you you should have. Mm-hmm. If eating healthier because it makes you uh, feel better and allows you to 
live a, a longer life is important to you, then this is going to certainly help um, ease your mind and to put you in a situation where um, that is more likely to happen. Yeah, the point is to make a goal and to reach that moonshot. That's why it's called Noom, because it's moon backwards. I marvel, by the way, at how thoughtful they were mm -hmm. in designing this process. Agreed. I, I think that the process that they have designed, the thinking about thinking, metacognition, the, the stark reality of, do you want this? If so, go for it. But do you really want that? And for me, it's food. You know, do you want to eat that cheeseburger? Well, maybe. And if so, eat the cheeseburger. But what if what you really want is something more nutritious and something that will sustain you longer instead of that fatty food? Yeah, it, it, it seems to be a really a well thought out process. I could see it being very uh, happy people who go through this being very successful. Mm -hmm. The question is, is there enough novelty to it that two, three, four, five years from now, will it hold a person's interest? From my experience so far, which is only four months, I would, I would guess that the answer is yes. You and I have discussed over time how the best way for you and I to lose weight is to record our food intake to truly honestly keep a diary of our calorie count and to honestly look at it in a in a really stark way if we have that piece of cake because it's the birthday party that's okay it just we need to make ourselves accountable to that one of the best analogies that I keep thinking about that has really stuck with me is the analogy of the elephant and the rider. Psychologist Jonathan Haidt introduced this idea, and the idea is the elephant is our emotional side, while our rational analytical side is the rider of that elephant. And in that analogy, can the rider ask nicely for the elephant to go and do the thing that the rider requires yeah will the elephant always comply with the rider no no the elephant has its own psychology its own thinking and sometimes we will vary from that rational thought and go to an emotional place i think about that all the time in this journey I love this analogy. This really brings me to thinking about how I think about my motivation for myself and my motivation for my students. There, there has to be a balance between what's happening now and that emotional connection to that future. And I think about that uh, while thinking about cheeseburgers. First of all, there's nothing wrong with eating a cheeseburger. You know, the idea that we only eat that only, maybe there's a, there's an issue with it. I think that the idea here in Noom is to find the most nutrient-dense and to eschew some of the calorie-dense choices, to think of nutrients and green vegetables as very nutritious as opposed to 
some of the more calorie dense choices that are not as nutritious. And that's my favorite part about Noom is that you absolutely get to choose what it is that you want to eat. If you want to eat it, please go right ahead and eat it. But the question that comes up later in the psychology of this is, is that what you want? Is that truly what you want? Or is it some part of your psychology, that emotional side versus that rational side that is making that choice? Uh, fast food is uh, uh, convenient and simple. Mm -hmm. um, could you eat processed food all the time? Well, I think that that's probably a bad idea. And and that is the psychology there is should we choose the the easiest sometimes yeah the easiest is the right choice sometimes is the more complicated cooking for yourself and making choices about what you want to eat for a long term that is the psychology here all right so let's talk a little bit about the cost because noom is uh you know it's a company and, and they need to be able to have the resources to update the software, to update their uh, research. And it is research-based. It is There is a lot of research. A lot of science goes into this psychology. And as with a lot of behavior economics, a lot of behavior um, psychology, um, it's not always able to be replicated. And that seems to be what the, the challenge with some of this. So we're at the early stages of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the research could change dramatically over time, but it's better than just winging it. And Great. this seems to be a very good process. I was engaged with the with the writer. I understood what he was attempting to do. I understand what the company is attempting to do, and what they're doing. Once again, it's going to it's, it's going to cost you. You subscribe to Noon to help. I don't know, give you um, uh, encouragement mm -hmm. to give you um, to give you confidence to basically uh, allow you to to make this happen. And they talk about that financial part of that motivation at the beginning of this uh, program as well is the idea that you can motivate yourself financially here. They give you the option of putting up real money to put into a, a uh, I guess a trust that you are going to do this. And if money is a motivator for you, they can provide that motivation. You put up your money in the idea that it will motivate you to be successful they will give you back that money if you are successful or they will keep it if you're not that is one way to motivate some people well that sounds like gambling steve <laughs> gambling on your health sounds terrible <laughs> the cost is 59 dollars a month and that's what what the, the the program costs. That's what I was getting to. So Noom is a, is a service out there, like joining a gym or hiring a coach. Um, and it because of how it is set up to be part of your life, their coaching, their servicing increases your likelihood of reaching those goals. That is the point I was trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And, and that pricing certainly 
can be a, a barrier. And I suggest that you pick up this book if you're thinking about thinking and thinking about how you can motivate yourself to make a change. This book, which is, you know, a reasonable introduction to this system might be enough for some people. So I have a number of friends of mine who use Noom and have had success. I personally have not, but I certainly understand how it's established. And I, once again, I do think this is an incredible um, opportunity, especially for those who need that type of um, motivation, which uh, I'll just let you know, I've been across the United States, Steve. That would be all of us. Yeah, I, I agree that we all need motivation. Your job is motivation. My job is motivation. Getting people to understand who they are and how they think. I think Noom and this book certainly can help with all of that. That's the Noom Mindset. Learn the science, lose the weight. Published by the Noom Corporation in December 2022. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's lots of things happening in the world. Uh, let's let's talk about your grades, son. I've gotten your report card, and uh, I, I'm I'm pretty disappointed in your civic scores, Chip. Uh, is there anything I can do to raise my grade? <laughs> it's May, it's May, right? It's and, May. Go, and the teacher's response: It's May. And they go, "May I do something to improve my grade?" Yes, that is exactly how my life goes, for sure. <laughs> National report cards came in this week, and uh, Americans have scored very poorly on history and civics. That doesn't surprise me. Um, it seems to be something that was being de-emphasized. Certainly, I don't know about growing up in Chicago or going to a Catholic school like you did, uh, Steve, but as a young person and growing up in North Carolina, they shipped us up to D.C. every other year. So I was up in D.C. probably four or five times, maybe more, during my youth growing up. And the idea was to, you know, this is, they wanted to teach us government. Mm -hmm. This is how the federal government works. And guess what? We're standing here on the steps and look, there's a senator. Let's get a picture with the senator. Um, this was something that was very important to North Carolina. And when we were not in D.C., the off years, we were in Raleigh doing the same thing, walking around Raleigh. So I don't know if that means for every North Carolinian that was their experience, but I grew up in eastern North Carolina. And I, knowing what my children went through from K through 12, I don't think this was so important to the people um and their educational philosophies at this time. Yeah, I think it's kind of important that we know how government works and why we've made the choices that we've made, why the Constitution says the, the separation of powers and the checks and balances are important. And I think the history part is also important to kind of put it in the context. When our country was founded, I mean, we certainly were, you know, we had British history. Uh, in many ways, and people have, from wherever they came from, they were part of that. But we created this narrative and this story, and, and over time, we've realized that it was kind of a made-up narrative. I mean, George Washington not chopping down a cherry tree is my kind of playful way of saying 
that we created this narrative. You know, we we celebrate Columbus Day because we wanted to have a holiday based around the founding of, of the New World. All those things are, when I say being attacked right now, they certainly are um, recognizing it's a little more complicated than that. And so our narrative as a country certainly has been lost. We, we, we don't have the great Soviet Union to compete with. We, we certainly have this, this idea that everything is always being questioned. Hmm. Um, certainly for, for good reasons, but you know, we, we understand the Native Americans situation that, uh, was going on in, in the United States. We understand that, um, uh, people came from, you know, different backgrounds and stuff like that. And, and we helped build what is the most powerful nation in the world. Um, and, and in the history of the world that we've known. Um, and then we also recognize all the challenges of that, because certainly if you were a, a, a slave in the, in the South, that was a real challenge to this idea that all people are created equal and, and uh, they could do what they wanted. So history is complicated. Um, and our narrative that we're, that we would love to have that is so clean and all that other stuff, it's just not there. So how do you teach history when everything is relative? And I think that there is um, that there's a philosophy issue mm-hmm. that comes down to it. Um, and I also do think that um, we have de-emphasized civics. Um, Illinois, my experience is the challenge is, I mean, how many days did our kids spend down in Springfield? Right. And is the government of Illinois even in Springfield? That I mean, how many days did the governor spend in Springfield is a good question too, because even even he does not maintain uh, a a real presence there. And what does that do to the life of our government? It's real important to have an idea of how government works. It's real important to have an idea of how you fit in and how you potentially can participate. And the why, the why you should be a part of it and the why it works the way it works. Well, not every person has to be part of the government. Um, you know, Steve Jobs didn't need to be part of California's government um, because, I mean, he was working on other things. I think people help in other ways but the idea of facilitating um the state's needs or the, the um the federal needs or your local community's needs well those do require people to volunteer or to be elected to participate in your community whatever that means it might not be government but it is certainly participation and i think that that is something that we are missing in our in our youth in in my school and something that we are missing across the country right now well this is something that we can certainly work on mm-hmm. go npr for reporting this we we have some more stories uh, coming up this week. A lot of them are about AI. There's a lot of AI talk in the last few weeks, huh? Well, artificial intelligence is interesting in the sense that of all that we can do, 
uh, and also scary because what it may do to us. Mm-hmm. So there is a letter that a bunch of the higher ups in lots of companies across the country have written asking us to pause our research into AI for six months. Uh, this this concept is mind-boggling to me, to think that a group of companies can artificially say, no, 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 we are not going to work on AI for six months so that we can very clearly state what our intentions are for this technology. What are the rules for this technology? Technology always comes before laws. Laws are always behind new technology. And the idea of AI being frightening and potentially dangerous uh, is at stake here. Well, it's it's based on uh, the nonprofit Future for Life Institute. Um, and basically, it has industry people and government officials that are part of this what they're they're stating is what we're kind of seeing that machine learning is learning itself it's creating its own language at times mm-hmm. and it's it's far beyond what we could i don't know if you, if you had to model this out it's too unpredictable mm-hmm. so i'm not suggesting that um they stop research but i think that the idea of how it gets rolled out to the general public seems to you know, be something to consider with and, and where it should be useful. Um, is it helpful to have a person, a student, have their paper written by AI? Mm-hmm. Well, it may be if they're asking the right questions. Um, and if the and, and answers it, are accurate and, and how we know if the answers are accurate becomes a big question. Well, I'm, I'm suggesting if you know how to write, ask the right questions, and there's data pull from maybe they they could pull the right question, but is that is the is the aim to ask the right questions, which many times it is, mm-hmm. or is it to have a body of knowledge to be able to pull from to be able to have wisdom from? Mm-hmm. And uh, as a young person who is learning these type of things, if you're constantly just asking some AI system. For something, and but you have no one idea of what the ramifications of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Steve. Maybe you're building Jurassic Park. I, I think of when students rely on their calculator for math, and they ask the calculator for an answer, and they don't know if that is the right answer that is coming from that technology. They cannot identify whether or not they're getting the wisdom that they need from that. That's what I think of with, with what they're using AI here. Okay, so that, that that's addressing sort of the, the you know one of the simpler problems. The, the more complicated problems is if it starts taking over certain things and all of a sudden uh, it's dictating to, you know, people who have some experience on what to do when to plant crops and blah, blah, blah. You, you can imagine. And that knowledge of firsthand knowledge gets lost because future uh, groups of people are unable to make decisions. I mean, other than what it gives you. 
And that's exactly why I put Rob Reed as our opening for this episode, because his book after on talking about AI, talking about the possibilities of what AI could do. And we might not know it because we are accepting of the answers given. That is a frightening possibility for AI. All right. So that seems very interesting, Steve. Steve, what if you were a writer and you worked in Hollywood? Yeah, we're definitely talk, still talking about AI here, huh? The Writers Guild of America is on strike. They are not writing anything. This is a, a group of people that we rely upon for so much of our culture, so much of who we are comes from writers across the country. They're looking for more job stability and compensation for new platforms. They, they claim that writers today are more like gig workers within that unionized environment, that they go from job to job and they have no real strength of union jobs. They, they've been talking a lot about how TV shows have gone from 30 episodes, 20 episodes to eight episodes. And those writers who are writing for those eight episodes, they're out of a job when that eight episode run is over. Well, they are 1099 employees. They, mm -hmm. they are contract employees many times. There's a union that's, that's part of those that, that does have some protections. But what we're talking about is a world back when, I don't know, I Love Lucy was being made in the 1950s. Or movies were being made by big studios, yeah, and and those would just show in movie theaters or in um, you know on television. To a world right now that hey, uh, it's streaming, mm -hmm. or hey, it's going to be available in some other place. Or what if they took my program that I uh, that I wrote, the story I wrote, and I don't know, have it dissected through an AI program and spit out in a different way? Mm -hmm. Do I get compensated for that? These are, uh, there's a lot of um, questions that are going uh, on right now. If you remember properly, why did some bands hold out on streaming platforms? Well, their contracts never mentioned streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. This is, um, they're looking to have some of those um, unknowns uh, identified and also figure out how they'll be compensated going forward. The last writer's strike was in November of 2007, and that led to a rise in reality programming, including The Celebrity Apprentice. So the writer's strike could be um, a, a cultural shift. Let's just put it that way. Steve, you never know. Maybe a future president uh, could <laughs> yes. show up there. Yes. I don't know. Steve, um, when you send up a rocket, sometimes you make a mess. <laughs> Well, SpaceX uh, often makes a mess, and sometimes making a mess is important. That's that's what I tried to show my students. When we watched the launch of the Starship from SpaceX you know, a couple of weeks ago, my students were, were very disturbed by the idea that that was millions of dollars that exploded. And I tried to explain that sometimes you need to have the data of what could go wrong in order to make it better next time. One thing that went wrong with the starship is the enormous amount of environmental damage to the launch pad and the faa is being sued by a local group for uh ruining part of their environment if we wanted to be cynical about it we could say sometimes people get subsidized 
and they get to start businesses by the federal government. And they get to create stock prices that go really, really high. And they get to sell some of those stock prices. And they get millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and yeah, what can I say? Well, the question is about the environment, right? The question is, if you send up a rocket, who's responsible for the the result of that? Is SpaceX you know, responsible for that is the FAA who gave authorization responsible for environmental damage. Well, there's an economics answer to that. I mean, I can probably believe about it. Hey, in China, they release pollution in the air and it lands in Denver. Who's responsible for it, Steve? Right. That, that... I know, there's an answer to that. Oh, there is. So I yes. don't know. You tell uh, me. The answer is you, it doesn't matter who's responsible for it as long as one person is given those rights. So, you know, the people of Denver could pay the people in China not to pollute. That's possible. Um, the people in uh, China could be responsible for it because they're putting it up. Hmm. You know, a lot of people think this is a real, you know, simple thing where, um, well, I mean, I'm sorry. It is simple. All you have to do is create the ownership of it. Who's responsible for it? Who's responsible? You know, I, I, the one I use a lot of times is there's the Woodrow Wilson Bridge in D.C., and uh, when I was going to school, there was a big snowstorm, a really big snowstorm. And um, people were trapped on the bridge. And they were not just trapped on the bridge. They were trapped on the bridge overnight. So there's a huge snowstorm, this big, long bridge, and people are trapped on it. Well, at the end of the day, it was determined that Virginia and Maryland uh, did not have an agreement on what to do in that situation. And uh, after that situation, they made an agreement that uh, the people on the Maryland side would pull the people from Virginia off the bridge on you know those coming into Maryland. And the people in Virginia would pull the people who were coming from Maryland into Virginia off the bridge. Hmm. Well, a lot of times you have to just identify what the issue is and then find your solution. And it doesn't matter who you give ownership of the problem to. Is that somebody has ownership of the problem, and at that point, you once you you determine who the owner is, and you can just do that, and you can create your situation based on that. There you go, and so so that case goes forward. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, is SpaceX responsible for their property? Well, possibly, mm -hmm. but what if a rocket fell on your property? Do you own that? Well. It's your property, and you've got this rocket. I mean, the, the, once again, the, these are, um, you just have to define it. And then at that point, they can move forward. So my hope is they'll figure out um, how they're going to work with this. Because while most of us don't want a rocket built in our backyard or, or by our neighbor or whatever, um, there are places, and this was certainly, uh, I don't know, Padre Island, somewhere near there, on the coast. They, mm -hmm. they took a lot of precautions on that. Sure. Um, but certainly, um, anytime you're dealing with rockets, there's stuff, that, debris that could fall over the place. Yes. I mean, who, own, who, owns, who owns a satellite that falls out of orbit and lands on your property? Well, that's right. How do you define it?
on the calendar we've got some uh pop culture things I, I should say on my calendar there are some pop culture things tomorrow is the 30th anniversary of the simpsons episode that introduced us to whacking day happy whacking day everybody and snakes you probably want to hide <laughs> hide all the snakes make sure that you you protect all your pet snakes on whacking day one of one of the more uh innovative and fun stories out of the simpsons the, the 1990s was a good time for storytelling in that do you think it's a cromulent time steve it was a perfectly cromulent time Doctor Who the movie premiered this week in 1996 coming up on 27 years uh, of uh, the hope that Doctor Who will be coming back to our screens and by the way Doctor Who will be coming back to our screens in November so I look forward to that this was a made for TV movie right Steve this was the American made for TV movie on Fox. Uh, it's a very uh, debated in the Doctor Who community whether this was a good movie or not, but it certainly was Doctor Who. And what they were attempting to do was test the market to see if the Americans were um, something that, that's, yeah, interested yeah. in this property. Uh, spoilers we were in fact in a lot of ways the american market is so much more the doctor who fan community than the british at this point some some of the doctor who actors who come to our conventions here in america are just uh, amazed at our joy and our sorrow and our feeling and our emotion of what doctor who means to us what do we hear steve is that an air raid sign what's coming up Oh, everybody, everybody, get to the flower shop. It's Mother's Day on Sunday. Get get the chocolates. Get get your mother what she needs. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. The <laughs> <laughs> <a> bad mother. <laughs> I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Mr. Steve. All right, I think think that we have a lot in front of us and a lot behind us and and boy is it is it the end of may yet is it the end of may no not quite almost we would love to hear from you what's going on in your world give us a call or a text our phone number is 805-4104-TMS our website is too much scrolling.com our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com we're on twitter and instagram and facebook we're on spotify and apple podcasts and youtube and you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of too much scrolling i want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling i'm steve Foto. I'm Chip Hessenplug. We'll see you in the future.